0: hello and welcome to the powered by rock podcast where i'm going to be speaking with vaden lewis the frontman of the legendary texas rock band toadies today about well as much as he can about the toadies because they are one of my top five favorite bands of all time and i've had a lot of questions which 95 percent we won't have time for today but let's see how deep we can get on the five percent that we have time for we'll be speaking with the rock legend himself vaden lewis right after this you're listening to the powered by rock podcast with your host isaac coolman The Powered by Rock podcast was created to help showcase some of the best rock musicians in the world and to pass on to future generations the rock music that has inspired rock fans around the world for decades. We want listeners to be able to hear great stories and life experiences directly from their favorite artists, as well as dig deeper into music theory and talk rock like no other show you've ever heard. This isn't about looking cool. It's about getting real and having a great time. Without further ado, let's start the show. Hello, hello, hello Welcome to the Rock Podcast. I am super excited to be speaking with Vaden Lewis from the Toadies. Or I should say Toadies. I think that's commonly mixed up. People say the Toadies when it's just actually Toadies, just like Eagles, which most people remember from their debut album, Rubberneck, that came out in 1994 and became a huge success behind the lead single, Possum Kingdom. But this band has actually been kicking ass for the past 25 years or more uh, without You know, much major radio airplay on every album, which is pretty exciting because it's a lot of DIY and and small label kind of stuff. But it's been awesome. It's great to have you on the show. Welcome, Vaden. Come on in. Thank you. How's how's everything going today?
1: Oh, good, man.
0: Yeah, good. Awesome. So I've always told people that, you know, if I could ever join one band and play with that band on planet Earth, any band, uh, it would be Toadies. I don't really know why, but I figured like, you know. I know i can't fit the bill i'm not not nearly as good as you guys are but uh, i always felt like your guys's music was just so damn interesting and raw in a way that makes it feel accessible but then the subject matter is usually dark or macabre which piles onto my fascination did you kind of have like any idea what the toadies or like toadies might be as a band when you first started or was it kind of once you started putting songs together just kind of became this kind of thing
1: uh the latter the second of those two things yeah yeah I, uh yeah i just wanted to do rock that was something. i wanted to do what i wanted to hear you know and yeah. I, did, I was hearing close to it and real close to it but i mean i wanted to hear interesting music that had jacked up weird lyrics and uh, <laughs> and so i and you know i was it was the headspace i was in at, at the time so it just kind of worked out
0: yeah and and, and obviously we talked we'll talk a lot about rubberneck on this particular episode because you guys are actually celebrating uh, it's been o- out, o- out over uh, 25 years now, but you guys are actually doing a 25-year anniversary tour because you couldn't do it during the time when you wanted to do it. And you're actually going to be playing with Reverend Horton Heat, who are good yeah. friends of yours. And they're going to be playing their full album of Liquor in the Front, which uh, liquor is in, like, hard alcohol, not just, like, it's a kind of pun there. Uh, but can you t- talk about the, the relationship <laughs> and friendship with Reverend Horton Heat and how this tour came together? Oh, uh,
1: yeah. I mean, geez, I have to go back so many years when this was supposed to happen the first time (laughs) yeah (laughs) this is the third third time that we're trying to pull it off and uh uh but yeah uh, it's just i always thought that uh the toadies and the reverend brought out something different from dfw and that kind of made us similar if that makes any sense yeah yeah very similar but just the idea of doing this thing that was not like everybody around us i just keep, kind of maybe gravitate towards them
0: yeah so i I'm, I'm actually kind of interested because you know i've been to texas quite a few times i don't live there i live in vegas now but um there does seem to be kind of like a a little bit of like a similar sense of like nashville and and some some bands in texas kind of have that kind of um jangly rock sound to it um and is it is it kind of like what you're referring to is that's kind of like that seems like the preeminent. Uh, or the prominent, I should say. <laughs> Hello, dog. <laughs> the prominent uh, sound that you get from cities like Austin and Nashville, aside from, you know, like you said, like you guys and Reverend Horton Heat and a few other bands out there that are just doing things their own way.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> <What you said>. <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. Yeah, because every time I go there, I see, I see people with mustaches that play like a Fender uh, Telecaster and they kind of play the same sound and it's very similar music, and I'm like right. you guys are all wearing plaid shirts, you all have mustaches, you all play a fender strat or a telecaster, and you sound exactly the same, but why? I don't understand why it's like that.
1: <laughs> don't know
0: either. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know
1: either. I don't know, man. I uh uh it's funny because at the speaking of what a genre like people that look all the same do the genre of music and and looking back on it, I'm like, Oh yeah, I fell into that with the plaids and get off me, dog. But uh, fell into it with the plaids and the loud colors and stuff. But it, at the time, it was just I, just so distracting. I'm so sorry. No, that's uh, right. Just what we were doing. And it was just kind of a thing. And I don't know. That's just, sorry about that.
0: All good. I have a couple of dogs and a one-year-old, so I know how loud it can be right outside your door and in, in your room and everything like that. So, yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. Well, we left them unsupervised for 45 minutes and came home to a, a remote control that was Half digested. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) so I feel like I need to keep an eye on them.
0: Yeah, for sure. sure. (laughs) So let's talk about uh, another thing. Obviously, you speaking of the Dallas-Fort Worth area, you guys are kind of like a national treasure. But you're also a very specific local treasure in that area Where to the point where you guys have your own day, Toadie's Day, which is celebrated on December 30th. Um, was there a significance to that day before you guys started playing the Billy Bob's Texas Festival or was that kind of linked together?
1: That's just when we started doing it. Uh, we I, we've never liked doing New Year's Eve shows. They're always uh, just there's a disruption in the middle of the set to do the countdown. <laughs> yeah. And then what do you do? Just pick up where you left off or do you start a second set? And like, yeah. it's just a headache. And then everybody's all smashed, and you got to deal with all that. Yeah. So we yeah. Had got offered, and, and we've been wanting to play Billy Bob's forever, and we got offered the thirtieth of December, and like, oh, it's the best of both worlds. Play the night before, stay home the night of. Yeah. And uh, and it's been a great run, and so uh, yeah, just a few right before COVID, the last year before COVID, we uh, the mayor gave us a proclamation, actually from the governor, who I'm not a big fan of, but we don't need to do say. <laughs> yeah.
0: But uh yeah, Governor Abbott, I think that's his name, right? He's not doing yeah. uh he's not doing yeah. good things for a lot of people in Texas right now. Oh,
1: uh, he's doing things.
0: <laughs> yeah. He's definitely doing things, a lot like DeSantis in uh Florida.
1: Uh exactly, yeah. But uh so but, yeah, obviously it was a great honor. We got to the mayor, uh, you know, had a ceremony and she, you know, it was like it was it was super nice. Just
0: what a nice thing. So let's also talk about the Dia de los Todes Festival for years, which you guys started as a kind of an all Texas band festival, grew a bit. And then you guys kind of stopped putting it on. I I can only imagine the headaches of an annual festival and and doing a lot of that stuff to, you know, the logistics and stuff like that. But do you feel like there's a clamoring uh, or an itch to kind of put the festival back on in the near future? Uh,
1: I've learned to never say never, you know, Uh, but we did 10 years and it was a good run. And the impetus for it was when we first got back together in 08 and put out that record, uh, which was uh, No Deliverance. Yep. Yeah. That's right. Yep. And uh, um, then we started getting offers to do these like radio festivals. And, you know, and the offers were okay. But it was like, well, what if we we just started talking? And I think we we're doing one of these festivals. And <laughs> the dressing are like, what if we just picked all the bands ourselves and just did it ourselves and, and it'd be a huge pain in the ass, but would also be way more fulfilling. And,
0: yeah. And so we did. And then I'm uh, sure you guys probably years, got your own cut of the money a little bit better when you do it yourselves versus like getting,
1: well, there's, well, you know, there's, there's so much business to it. Cause then you got to pay for fencing and stages sure. and all. And so there's security and toilets yeah. and everything. So, uh, so, um, but it was, just a blast and after a few years we decided to add add a second night with before like a pre-night and it was super chill and we sat around with acoustic guitars and we had a way scaled down crowd of like maybe 400 and then uh, just played to those people and and revamped all of the songs to that format which is just a mental gymnastics trying to make that work when you've got a 40 second uh feedback break in the middle of a song what are you gonna
0: do you mean Uh, like on the song tyler for example yeah
1: exactly peak kingdom and tyler yeah so uh so we worked around it and uh that all started actually from uh, uh i read forever ago that a good song can be played i either read this or made it up i tend to do that uh but um uh a good song can be played on any instrument and it'll still be a good song. Yeah. And uh, and so I thought, well, I wonder if my songs are any good. <laughs> <So> <laughs> put it to the test. And some of them worked out better than others. And but it they were all just fun to play. And then we throw in some weird covers, and it was a blast. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Was so was that kind of the impetus of the the album Heretics? Then?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We had all these recordings of because uh, we recorded everything, and we had all these recordings. And uh, and we thought, you know, we should do these, but do them in a studio and, like, really get in there and yeah. uh, and do it. And so we went back with uh, Rob Schnaft, who did, uh, he was on the team that did the, the Rubberneck and Hell Below Starts Above, and uh, and he did a great job on it. So he's got a ton of vintage gear and stuff, so it's great.
0: Yeah, I will say that was a pretty incredible um, album. And I, I do want to pick up more about that in a little bit because I want to kind of kind of keep it in chronological order. Otherwise, people are going to get kind of confused about how things worked and when things came. But sure. I do think that there were some really 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 good songs on that album, including a couple of never never before released songs and a couple of original songs that weren't you know just re reimagined songs. But uh, right right. Yeah. Speaking of Tyler though, that was the the one song that I actually played as a cover song in high school that I thought I did pretty well at. So that was the one thing. But you're absolutely right. Without the electric guitar, you try to play that on on acoustic and you're just sitting there for like twenty seconds, like, what do I do now? Like the the feedback's not there. So I'm just gonna go ahead and go into the next verse. (laughs) Yeah. Or the little guitar solo part.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And the next level up from that is when I do solo gigs with an acoustic guitar and just oh yeah. And do that song. And it's it's kind of fun because you just kinda have to figure out how to keep it moving you know
0: yeah yeah, yeah, exactly so let's dig into some of the other great music you've been making over the years because it's not just toadies that you've been a part of either uh you worked on a band called burton brothers uh had some eps and put out a couple of lps under that as well during the hiatus of, of toadies. Yeah. i found both of those albums absolutely incredible um can you just talk about those years in between the uh, toadies albums and explain what it was like to do projects outside of the realm of kind of the thing that you're most known for
1: uh, not easy It's the easiest way to put it. It's the quickest way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was a kind of like re, you know, just rebranding myself and redefining everything. And people are not into that a lot of times, but, uh, yeah. so, you know, we had uh, small crowds and, uh, well, some decent crowds actually. And, uh, had a pr- but they were devout. I mean, they were there at every show and, uh, and yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was cool. It was, Trying to write songs that were not Toadie songs and try to get out of it. Hey, 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 get away from that. <laughs> try to get away from, uh, get into a different, just a different vibe, a little more poppy and a little more mainstream sound. And, uh, yeah,
0: I, I, I mean, the song Beautiful Life, uh, I, I feel like it could fit in the Toadies, but it is a, a lot more of that pop rock genre for sure. Like, that's right, just so right. Cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, the most Toadie song. On either record is buried in your black heart, and I had oh, yeah. written that riff when the band broke up, when the Toadies broke up yeah. for that hiatus, and uh, and I thought, well, I go somewhere else with it now, you know. Yeah,
0: I'm glad you did because, like I said, all the all the songs I've heard, of Burden Brother, fantastic. Actually, I think about five or eight, six, seven, eight years ago, something like that. I think I saw like a, a post from you guys on social media it was like special on um, backorder catalog albums and i just bought literally every album because i was like all right oh, i'd actually don't own some of these on cds so i was like what i don't have i just bought and i got like seven or eight seven or eight albums all at once and i was like every single thing was awesome cool thank you <laughs> awesome yeah all right so i did see in an interview uh recent interview that you guys are now actually gathering new music for the potential of a new album i think that interview came out in like december of 2021 though so i was curious like Has there been more progress made on that album in that time, or is there more that you're willing to share?
1: Well, I'm churning out uh, bits and pieces since uh, lockdown, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's just, uh, it's it's interesting because I don't know how everybody else dealt with work and lockdown, but when I'm at home and I feel like I need to write a record, it feels like I'm just being super lazy. Yeah. (laughs) Because I'll come in and work for a little bit and then go watch a movie and uh, (laughs) you know and um, but then at the end of the year I just went through my uh, logic files and I had just so much stuff that I just like put it down and forget about it you know and um, and so yeah there's a ton of stuff Uh, it's just a matter of getting it all worked out into from riff to song and then Figuring out which ones fit together in an album format, which yeah. I've always really been. I've looked at every record as as an LP, like that's the yeah. way that I want the set list to go on the record. I want it to get about halfway through and then it goes in a different little bit different direction for side B. Yeah, my favorite records do that.
0: Yeah, and I was um, actually going to say because I, I was going to mention this about this, but you kind of brought it up early, but. Um, track lists are always an interesting thing for me. And also like, just like compiling songs that you have from a catalog that is unreleased, right? So only, you know, of everything that's on your computer, but how do you, how much do you write for each album? How do you narrow it down? And then how do you kind of process the track list? I mean, you just said, you kind of like start one way and then kind of veer off in a different direction for the track list, but is it always like something kick ass to start it off? Is it like always that punch up front? Is it Do you just change it whenever you feel like it do you feel like there's a kind of natural progression of how it should be played do you think it's like hey this is like a live version this is how it it should go
1: it depends it's really uh uh i play with it's uh, i play with it a lot like the last uh well as far as the writing goes uh it, it varies from me having completed demos that we go in and uh in a studio with better gear and that was how that went for the longest time and, uh, you know, with some input from the band members and stuff, but I'm the driver, you know, and, uh, yeah. um, and then it kind of evolved into, uh, we went into a session with Frenchie Smith and Austin, who's a great producer. And we were going to go do a demo session. This is years ago. And, uh, and it just kept going and going and going. And we walked out with a complete record with 18 songs to choose from to put on an album. And, uh, so, uh, and that was just totally different from the way i've done things and so it varies really Mm -hmm. Uh, this next record we're going to try to do it old school and as live as air quotes as live as possible yeah so we'll try to get everything mapped out and done and uh go back to the we're going to try to do it on tech on tape again nice and um and so we thought well if we're doing that you know when we were poor Tape is very expensive so you get we gave ourselves two takes maybe three yeah and then and then if we couldn't get it three takes fuck it we're just going to move on
0: yeah exactly
1: <laughs> uh, so um so we really worked on saving the money that way and we're trying to bring that ethic back on this new record because it really has an urgency to it to get yeah. away and, you know it's it's a, it's a different vibe
0: yeah it's great that you mentioned that because I actually been I have talked to a couple of other bands about that and you know when you're in the process of creating things digitally and you can take as much time and do as many new effects as you want during the production and the mixing and the mastering and the recording process, I feel like a lot of that live energy is lost. And it just kind of sucks out some of that 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 person, human, human element of it, right? So, I, you know, I always told people, you know, back when I recorded the one LP that I ever did, you know, in the studio, you had to be good. You had to, like, show up practiced and prepared and get it done as fast as you possibly could without too many mistakes. And I feel like when you do that, that's still the best LP that I've ever put out and everything I've done since that is, I've had all the time in the world to make. I'm like, this sounds so much worse. How did I do that?
1: Yeah. 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 (laughs) I, uh, even with my logic, uh, logic pro, which I'm sitting at my workstation right now. And, uh, I have like a preset, like blank track. That's got three different good amp sounds yeah, and A good bass sound and a good drum sound it, because I'll sit there and like play a riff and then start screwing with the settings and then like, wait a minute, how'd that go? You know, it's like it just, you get distracted. So yeah, yeah it's easy to do
0: with Pro Tools yeah. for sure. Yeah, exactly. Like a little bit of EQ maybe, uh, maybe a little reverb on the vocals or whatever. And that's pretty much all you need to start. Yeah, totally. <laughs> awesome. So I want to go back and talk about the music of the Toadies over the years because there is just a certain aura that you kind of put around the music that makes it a bit chilling but also absolutely rocking um like songs like we've talked about Possum Kingdom and Tyler are examples of these dark songs where you know uh Tyler's kind of like this abduction story uh, and then Possum Kingdom I I I I saw your explanation of that in the uh, the documentary you guys put together the stories of Rubberneck where it's kind of the the sequel to "I Burn," which I didn't know that for years. I had no idea that those two songs were related because they're not next to each other in subsequent order or anything. But um, they, they, they're just eerie and, and and dark and stuff. So I know these aren't autograph uh, autobiographical songs by any means. I don't think you're a secret serial killer or anything uh. like that. <laughs> but uh, I assume you do find a way to relate to these characters and the stories you write the songs about. So I have to ask, like, what part of you is that that dark side that connects you with these songs?
1: Well. Uh... Real quick, there is an autobiographical side, if I could say that word. Um, uh, like "Backslider" was the last song that I wrote yeah. that went on uh, on to on to Rubberneck, and that's yeah. that's straight up like terror, you know, that's what that's about. And um, uh, but as far as the the horror stuff, I like spent my teens and twenties just reading every horror thing I could get my hands on. I read all of Stephen King and I, all kinds of stuff. And when I was super young, um, I wasn't allowed to go to see scary movies or R-rated movies. So I would buy the book. And gotcha. holy crap, that is way scarier <laughs> than the movie is. Uh, so, you know, and it was just in there. And I just kind of, I love it. I, I, and as far as the first person, I kind of use first person a lot. Uh, cause I remember being, I can't even remember how old I was. I was super young and I read some Poe and, oh, yeah. and I get to the end of it. And like, holy crap, this guy murdered somebody. Somebody go pick him up. <laughs> Why did I just read? You know, but, uh, later I got it, of course. But, uh, um, anyway, it was, it just, I just love that stuff.
0: Yeah. it's very cool. So I also, speaking...
1: like a, uh, I also like the idea of a. I also like the idea of, Really pretty music with really fucked up disturbing lyrics. That's that's yeah. always or vice versa. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a good metal song that's just heartfelt love. That I, that's just <laughs> yeah. as cool the other way around. Yeah. You know I mean?
0: Well, I think that um I think it was actually Edgar Allan Poe from Memory who said the saddest thing you can do is write a a love song about a, a woman that's dead, but it's also like the most like like joy and or an inspiring thing you can do as well because it's like people really relate to that, but then it's like soul crushing at the same time. So I was like, Yeah, yeah it's yeah. about love, but it's about somebody who's deceased, so it's like good and bad, like juxtaposed uh, together. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah,
1: uh, one of my favorite songs, uh, Joy Division, um, uh, Bizarre Love Tribe, I can't remember the name of the song, and that's terrible, it just it escaped me, but. The whole song is about I can't wait to get home from the war and talk to my wife and kids. I can't wait to be with my family. That's the chorus. Yeah. It's just beautiful. It's real pretty and kind of going along and then he gets to the last verse and it's he, he gets home and his wife is reading the letter from the, from the government saying that he died in the war and I'm like Yeah. That's just cool. That's just, that's a really good storytelling and it's engaging and you know, I love that stuff
0: yeah, very much so. So I did mention the uh, documentary that your guys guitarist uh, Clark Vogler put together about the making of of Rubberneck called Dark Secrets: The Stories of Rubberneck, um where you do detail some of the processes over the top of the recorded footage from the time, which was pretty cool to see you guys, you know out there shooting guns in the middle of Texas or I think it was in Texas, wasn't it? Uh,
1: most that was in uh, California actually. Oh yeah.
0: California. okay, yeah. yeah. And then I think uh, for anyone who knows kind of more about the album, then go watch a short film. Or who wants to know more about the album can go watch a short film. It's absolutely phenomenal. But can you just talk about the, you know, how that came together and what it was like to revisit some of those old home videos and you know doing the narration for that and just thinking, man, it's 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 crazy because you know, going back, if if I'm going back to when I was younger and talking about how I was writing songs, I'd be like, honestly, I don't even remember how this song came together. Like it just, it just did. And then like sometimes I feel like I don't remember doing some of that stuff. And it's like, that's better than I thought I was. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. There's, and there's some of that. I just like,
1: uh, that was just such a pivotal time, you know, writing that record and, and starting the band and, you know, getting pissed off at the whole Fort Worth cover music scene at the time. That was the only gigs we could get was cover songs yeah. and, and trying to squeeze in some of our own songs in there, but not too many because we we'll, won't we'll get our pitcher of beer. You know, yeah. So, <laughs> you don't uh, want
0: anybody to walk out while you're playing. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So,
1: uh, so then, you know, just kind of blowing that up and getting rid of that and starting off totally new. And so that's just kind of burned into my consciousness, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. It is interesting going back to see the old footage, though. There was a lot yeah. of fire.
0: Yeah, for sure. And uh, I think, you know, I obviously I live in Las Vegas. I've been here for about 16 years. Vegas is very similar in the sense that if you don't play covers, You pretty much don't get to play a bar (laughs) or or anything. Sure. It's insane. So I know what you I know what you mean. And I have a lot of friends and bands here that are like, yeah, we resist the urge, but at the same time, those bands make a lot of money for just playing cover songs. Yeah, totally. (laughs) So I was always curious about your actual vocal performances and how you feel about the fact that you kind of put so much rasp and grit into your vocals. Um, you know, this was something that, you know, when I first heard you guys. I was blown away because, you know, the West Coast kind of grunge scene was blowing up about that time. And a lot of those guys had a lot of they actually had good voices, but they would tend to mumble or not be very clear or cohesive, not have professional sounding voices, Um, maybe with the exception of Chris Cornell, Mm -hmm. um, who I think you're kind of more in that vein where you had a really loud, raspy, professional sound. And I was like, no idea how you can sing like that, keep it up and do a whole set. And now you've been doing it for 30 years. I've seen you guys twice in the last six or seven years and you still sound incredible when you sing this song. So oh, first, how did your vocal style come about like that? And then how do you manage to keep it? Because I know a lot of your peers haven't been able to keep their voices that long. Oh geez. I don't know. I
1: mean, um, I, I did run into, uh, let me back up before we learned to get, uh, spend money properly to take care of ourselves. Yeah. Instead of, uh, uh, in your monitor, um, really saved me because we were on tour and, I, and it just went away. And I just couldn't because I hadn't learned how to warm up yet yeah. and I've been doing it a long time, but I hadn't learned how to warm up yet. And I, the monitors were never loud enough to to balance everything out because we're so damn loud on stage. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it, there's a there was a learning curve there of how to take care of myself because, you don't take 25, you know, forever. But um, I don't know. I mean, as far as how I got that style, I just when I started doing bands, it, nobody wanted to sing. And yeah. so I'm like, well, damn it, I, I'll sing, I guess, <laughs> so we can do it. You know? Yeah. And it was just getting behind the mic and I was not afraid to make an ass of myself and <laughs> continue to be, I guess. But uh, <laughs> uh, uh and then just developed, I guess. It just kind of turned into like what I wanted to hear, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like I had the similar situation. I mean, I, I grew up playing, uh, having to be a lead singer and stuff like that, but I was like, I never want to be the front person. I was always like, Hey, can you join the band? I've written the songs. All I need is somebody to sing it. And at that time I wasn't good enough to play and sing at the same time. So I was like, I don't want to figure out how to do this. I'd rather just play guitar because then I'm not the one in front. But then I found everybody had stage fright or just didn't know how to sing. And I was like, well, this isn't working. So then i eventually <laughs> just practiced enough to actually do it myself and got okay. But you know, not, not nearly as, Popular enough. I lived in North Dakota at the same time. So was, no one's coming to North Dakota to find talent or and I'm not going anywhere <laughs> as a band in North Dakota, but um, You know, so it was it was a bit interesting, but uh, yeah I think you're, you're you're hit the nail on the head because I've talked to other bands and the singers are usually like it was more because nobody else wanted to sing
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> as far as the doing two things at once thing um, that every still to this day every record even when I'm doing demos I'll get an idea for vocals and I'll pick up a guitar and play the riff that I just recorded just to sing over it and see how that sounds. Like, yeah, nope, can't do that yeah. yet. <laughs> so uh, you know, it's just you have to learn them both super well and then separate. It's it's the weirdest thing to try yeah. to, and then the scary part is when you're on stage and you realize you're doing it and you're like, oh geez. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it gets all upside down. But uh yeah, it's it's just a weird thing of focusing. On one thing or the other, and letting the other one just happen.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's a great point because yeah, your your brain just has to do it pretty much without thinking. It's like breathing and, and blinking. You just yeah. can't you can't think about it, or else you're gonna mess it up.
1: <laughs> our, our mantra, whenever we if we get edgy about a show or we haven't played in a while, is like, uh, don't get in your own way. Yeah, you know, and just get out there. You know how to do it, and just go do it. And yeah, and it's it sounds simple and dumb, but it really once you. Just do that;
0: it really works. Yeah, for sure. So I will say, and we'll get to some of the other stuff after uh, Rubberneck. But I will say that Rubberneck it is filled with incredible songs. Um, it is actually I just did a, a top 100 all all time albums uh, rock albums of all time list, and you guys are actually with Rubberneck we're number nine oh, wow, all time. Cool. Um, so you know Pink Floyd The Wall number one, uh, most modern rock I, I would say it, it it would take a miracle to overcome that for me, and I'm not that old. I'm only 40 now, but I've never heard a band create something as good as The, the Wall, but you're damn close. I mean, you've got some yeah. albums that really kick ass, and, uh, you know, it, songs like I Come From the Water, you mentioned Backslider, um, I Burn, Possum Kingdom, Tyler. You know, every every single album on there was awesome. Um, but I was curious, you know, they, you did mention in that uh, that documentary about how you were told not to start off with an instrumental. I've seen tons oh, yeah. of bands start off with instrumentals now, but you it, it was true. Like, back in the day, you had to start off, if you had an instrumental, it was towards the end or right. maybe second or third to last song is like a bridge to, to something greater. But it then kind of became way more common once you guys did it. I saw bands doing, including a, a new band uh, called Doc Rotten, a punk band from New Jersey. Their first album off their new album or their first song off the new album is an instrumental to kind of push into the to the album. So mm-hmm. kind of how did that explain or how do you explain that experience? And then do you think it was like the thing to do with, uh, I think it's uh, Mexican Hairless is the first song yeah. off the album.
1: Well, the the there's two reasons that we, that I chose to do that. Uh, first and foremost was the first Reverend album had an instrumental off the top. And I just thought that was a cool, like, who does that? And I thought that was cool. And, uh, I kind of wrote that song. That's Mexican hairless is me trying to knock off the Reverend Horton. Okay. So that's what that is. And it, it, (laughs) it it doesn't fit anywhere else. It it just didn't fit. You Know and I well, three songs and in instrumental. I, oh man, I don't want to do that. Start off side B, I could do that maybe, but no, nah, so I already had this idea for side B and it just kept rolling back up to the top of the list. And um, and it's funny, I, I just had the worst attitude with our label, and I'm surprised that they didn't just drop us right out of the gate, you uh, um, which I expected every day, but um,
0: and that was Interscope at the time, right? Or... Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, and um. Uh, our ar guy he said man we can't start off with an instrumental because people get the record they'll listen to it and they'll take it back thinking that it's defective because there's no vocals on the first song <laughs> and, I, and my response was those would be stupid people and I don't want stupid people listening to my record so I'm okay with this <laughs> he didn't like that but um so so he's he- like
0: that's 85 percent of anybody's fan base <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly.
1: <laughs> But uh, um, that's funny. Um, but uh, he, just to appease him, uh, Rob and, and Tom, who were working together at the time, and I went in the studio. We were still out in Mendocino County. And uh said, okay, look, I'm just going to throw up a mic. There's already a mic there. I'm going to just put it put on that track, uh, have some smoke, and just go in there and see what happens. And we'll build around that, and it'll be fine. Yeah. And I went in, and if you listen closely, there's a section in the middle where I just start cracking up because it's just a stupid idea to try to sing off the <laughs>
0: middle. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, I think there is like a scream in there or something, like a, like. I a, think there's a little something in there, yeah. Yeah, I think there is a little bit of vocal, but no words by any means. So oh, yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty interesting. I mean, did did you ever tell Reverend Horton Heat that that's kind of that was like your homage to them or? Yeah, I don't know if I ever did. I
1: that's interesting. Like, hey
0: reverend horton he go check out this uh podcast i was on <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's very cool so yeah you know um you know i'm like i mentioned i'm not just a fan of rubberneck that that album did make number nine on my list but um you know no deliverance which actually is my second favorite album made number 49 as well Yo, Cool uh, songs like man of stone you're the song i hate that whole album is just absolutely awesome i mean i know a lot of like super fans are kind of Whatever you might call them, like hardcore fans think Heaven Below, uh, Stars Above is like untouchable. It's like the greatest Toadies album of all time. And every time I ever see comments in your guys' Instagram feed or, or in social media, it's like, when are you going to repress? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stars Above? And I'm like, you don't have any other questions for the people that are making this awesome music other than when are they going to reissue this one <laughs> album? <laughs> um, but to me, I mean, it was like, you know, obviously, after when you guys went to go record feeler the first time interscope said no no chance we're not releasing this you did finally get a re uh, re re-release feeler after you know you know after interscope and, and you know breaking up and kind of coming back together and everything but what was some of the you know obviously between the first instance of feeler getting dropped then going to heaven below uh hell below stars above and then going to um, no deliverance and all these other things kind of what was that era of like being in the band like and how did it feel like to kind of put like you know these albums together at the time did it feel like you were under pressure did you feel like oh yeah. you know hey we got to get back to the top or what was kind of the idea behind some of these albums yeah hell
1: below well feeler and hell below there was a lot of pressure and uh yeah. we there was some tactical errors on our part um in that we toured man we toured so much i think i think one one year we did 250 shows in a year and and there was it was gone so much that I just flew home on a little bit of break. I flew home, and put my car in storage and disconnected the battery and all my stuff and got rid of my apartment. And that's just it. I'm gone. And um, so yeah, we were gone and we toured and we just kept touring and kept touring and kept touring. Uh, instead of taking some time off to re- start on the second record, and my I still have this this. Um, uh, disconnect. I'm starting to work through it after all these years of when I'm on tour, I'm in tour mode. When I'm writing, I'm in writing mode. And those two don't have to be separate. I don't know why they became that way, but that's just my brain. And so I'm trying to get that put all back together. But, you know, so I had to be home for a while before I could start getting everything moving and, uh, and get it going. And I knew that there was tons of tons of pressure to write Possum Kingdom again, and it's just a weird time.
0: Yeah. I can imagine, obviously, with the release of Hell Below and Stars Above, um, not having the commercial success of, like, Rubberneck, that there was probably some maybe uh, inner band, even dialogue about, like, what the heck are we doing? How is this going to go? Where are we going to go from here? Kind of thing. Did that ever happen at all?
1: Well, yeah, well, I mean, most of us in the band at the time had the attitude of, well, see, at that point, uh, we had replaced uh, the guitar player with Clark, who was on yeah. the second record, and he was still in the band. And uh, so it was me, Clark, Rez, who was on the first record, and Lisa, who was on the first record. Yeah. And um, most of us had the attitude of, well, with Rubberneck, we got no support. We got no backing from the label. We just had to go out and bust ass. And we got lucky, because we kept talking to people and kept meeting people. and. And a program director in Florida picked it up and blew it up. And then it went to the West Coast and we went and smoozed that guy. Then it went to the East Coast and we went and schmoozed that guy. Like we're just chasing it, you know. And, and yeah. uh if we got a little momentum, the label would come in and go, look what we did. And so that would and okay, thanks, you know. Uh and that's the way it started off with Hell Below. And that was just the way I knew that I thought they always did things. Yeah. And um, because that'd been my history. Uh and so we got about midway through that tour and lisa was just like no not having it and poof just disappeared mm-hmm. so uh um that kind of put a put a hole in that boat uh, which you know at that point we'd have had legal problems and all sorts of garbage with labels and managements and just all just all kinds of headaches and i was just a like, it you know just like i i don't know what i'm going to do but i'm going to do something besides music yeah and uh came home and you know, it lasted about a day. And I'm like, oh, I like doing
0: music. <laughs> <laughs> I like all the music part. I just don't like all the bullshit part.
1: <laughs> yeah, so uh, got the Burden Brothers together and went up and did that.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So then, obviously, if really, you've released more albums. Obviously, we did talk about the final version of Feeler. You did do uh, Play Rock Music and the Lower Side of Uptown, all fantastic albums. Um, right. All of them have even what I would consider, you know, single-ready hits. Like, you know, um, I'm trying to think of what the uh, – uh the last one off of lower lower side of uptown was called the um god damn it i can't think of the single that came off there um remember what
1: the last song was
0: yeah (laughs) it's been a couple years since i've listened to the album but um listened to it heavily when it came out i cannot remember the damn name of the song but anyway the singles that come off that album you know you know and and the single that came out that one um it was it was amazing i was like the, it felt like the toadies had never left because now I actually got to hear you on the radio for the first time in probably 15 years for that single, and I just was like blown away that like it came back and I was like it felt like it never left, even though I had to like scratch and, and kind of kind of claw to find the the music before because released on Kirtland Records, a little independent label, not mm-hmm. being you know played by every radio station in America for most of these uh, most of this stuff. But um, did you ever feel like you know? Once you get famous, I feel like this it has got to be a kind of a curse because once you get famous and then you kind of aren't famous for a few years, people kind of put you off to the side and say they're they're not worth kind of bringing back. Did that did that ever kind of occur or happen to you guys or does that feeling ever kind of persist through any of the, the recording or, or even the marketing of some of these albums? Well, it's a pretty persistent
1: uh, thing if you let it bother you, you know. Yeah. Um But. And we were fully prepared for that with uh, when we put out Hell Below. Uh, yeah. uh, I'm sorry, uh, the third record. No Deliverance. And, uh, yeah, No Deliverance. And uh, we thought, well, we're coming back. And we've been gone for years. And it took so long before the second record came out. And and so we just thought, well, we'll go out and uh, it's going to suck. <laughs> it's just going to suck. But, but I want to do it. And we all wanted yeah. to do it. So we did. And the crowds were like, they were big. They were bigger than we than we went and went out for Hell Below, and uh, they were just like hungry for it. And and it's that's when we realized. And everybody says this about their fans, but that's when we realized these guys really are like adamant, like hardcore fans. Yeah, and, they, and loyal. Everybody everybody says that, but it's like it's fan pandering, but it's true. And it's like people that really love music, they will go, they will drive and go get go get it you know go see it yeah and it's really cool
0: yeah and that's one of the things I can say about you know the the, the Toadies and a few other bands you know I don't ever like to st- talk about the jam bands like the Jimmy Buffett's and Fish and all these guys because half of that appeal to be in the crowd there is also that you can take as many psychedelics or <laughs> illicit drugs as you want and then also enjoy the music that happens to be playing at the same time while you're tripping acid or whatever but uh, you know, most rock concerts are—you go for <laughs> the music, and then that's the fun part. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I that know was you cool. actually have. Yeah. Um, I was—I was, I was going to say, uh, obviously, I, I wanted to bring up Heretics again because we did talk about that. But you know, there's some pretty really—I would say—look, if nobody's heard Heretics, and you're like, oh, I love Rubberneck, go check out Heretics because it's like. Campfire, Blowing Your Mind version of Rubberneck and some of the other songs, obviously, but it's got Tyler on there. It's got, I think it's got Possum Kingdom from memory, but it's also got mm-hmm. like original songs. Um, you know, Jigsaw Girl and Dollskin, I thought, were probably the two, those two versions on Heretics were actually, in my opinion, probably better than the other versions. Um, then it's got original songs like the Belly In the Belly of the Whale and Queen of Scars, which absolutely great. You even covered the Blondie song, uh, which was awesome as well. But, um, you know, we don't we don't have time to go song by song for every album, but you know, was it, did you find something when you, when we talked about this a little bit, but did you find something about yourself, the band and the music scene while putting kind of this kind of record together and, and putting out more music about it over the years that, you know, you're just, you have different perspective now when you were 23, 24, 25 and, and putting out songs like this, where you're just like, we're kind of doing it for ourselves, but also it sounds really cool.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, it's definitely a change, uh, especially being on a, on an indie, and uh you go from a major where you give demos and demos and demos and then you get approval uh to do the second record uh and then they just are like i want to hear progress i want to hear progress to an an indie and our indie uh we like most records we're like mixing we're already done recording and we're almost done mixing when they're like hey guys uh, can we hear anything at all you know yeah. Oh shit. Yeah, it's here. Sorry. <laughs> you
0: know, oh, it's been it. three months. Oh, uh, sorry about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, but you know, the other side of it is with that little bit of pressure. I mean, lack of pressure. Uh, it's just more creative. And there was one instance, uh, one night while we were doing Heretics, and um, and I can't remember what we were doing. I mean, we were driving back to where we were staying from the studio, and and I was like, what? what are we doing? What are we even doing? You know, and somebody, I think it was Clark was like, whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> and I went, Oh yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah. right. We're still doing that. Cool. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, that's kind of the attitude of most artists I think is like, you don't want to have that normal day job. Even when you have a, a job kind of in the industry, like, you know, working for a, a, you know, maybe in a venue or working for a, you know, musical instrument manufacturer or something like that like you still want to be involved in music some way or other and still have your ability to be creative so I know obviously you've opened a new business in Texas where you built a rehearsal space called the loop which has actually expanded recently so talk about that endeavor and what it's been like since you started that and I believe you started with your wife correct yeah yeah indeed
1: Uh, well as you know from uh, being a musician it's it's hard most places where you rehearse are just super crappy yeah, dingy, <laughs> Yeah, dingy, dirty uh, and people living there and bugs and just it's just gross. Yeah. And the way that this usually goes that I've experienced for the most part, and not every time, but for the most part, somebody will rent an office building. And then if you're lucky, they'll change out the doors to be a little more heavy duty. Yeah. And that's the end of the story. And then you rent that room. And if somebody decides to go up their drop ceiling and over the wall down into your room while you're not there and take all your stuff, then that's just the way it goes. Yeah. So um, it's, you know, the toady started off in a you store it like a metal shed, (laughs) you know. um, And so uh, just I thought one day I'm going to have enough, you know, I'm going to have the knowledge and the money and everything at the same time and the opportunity, which is the biggest part of it. To yeah. build a place that I would want to rehearse at. Yeah. And so that's what we did. Rachel, uh, it was just the best uh stroke of luck that we found a property that was the right size for a steel. I mean, I can't I still can't believe we got it. And it's in the location we wanted, that part of town we wanted. Uh Fort Worth has a loop around it. Yeah. A twenty, and we wanted to be inside the loop uh so that we're convenient. It's clean, uh, my father in law. A general contractor and he came down from Oklahoma and made it all happen and like saved us a ton of money and sped everything nice. up and it's just been fantastic. And then we started broke ground on expanding into the parking lot to double our floor space, our footprint. And uh, that was we broke ground in 10 days about maybe three, two or three weeks later, uh, COVID hit. And so uh, it was pre lockdown at that point And the everybody knew it was coming and so the crew I stayed home I kind of was bummed I didn't get to be there for that part but uh yeah I stayed home uh, for the most part but they all just busted ass just set up sundown and then it just happened in like a month like it was yeah. just crazy. so anyway yeah that's long long story but uh yeah we love it there
0: yeah I was gonna say if any any bands looking to uh get rehearsal space definitely check it out because I know exactly like I have friends who like had their rehearsal spaces broken into the the doors just had the, the locks and, and, and handles all removed. But uh, fortunately, some of them don't get robbed and some of them do get robbed. But it's one of those things like nobody's there. There's no security. There's no cameras. There's there's no yeah. insurance policy or anything like that. So having it in a clean, good, you know, secure part of town is always good. And you see it like I feel like it's more more common now with touring bands getting their other gear stolen out of their vans on the tour and stuff like that. It's just, you don't want that. You don't want, you don't want to replace all your gear. It's just absolutely insane. What's happening. What a nightmare.
1: Yeah. Especially after collecting gear for 30 years. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, We've got 22 rooms. They've been full. Every once in a while, we'll have an empty room for a month. And then we've got a giant rehearsal room for hourly that's got a full, like a medium sized club PA in it. It's just nice, pretty baller. Pretty cool. Very cool. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, I appreciate you being here. Obviously, um, we'll add some links to, you know, the the, the loop. We'll have put some links to the, the music and everything and pretty much anything I can think of Toadies related in, in the show notes below. But did you have anything else that you want to plug or anything that you want to say to listeners or anyone who may not know who Toadies are yet before we go today?
1: <laughs> uh, I, well, we do it. We're doing the rubberneck tour. As you mentioned, that starts in September and it's going to be I think September 13 through October 21 or two, it's going to be insane. It's going to be a long one, nice. so we're going to go everywhere. Excellent. Yeah, come out and see the band. We're going to do sure. the we're going to do the whole record in sequence, and um, I don't know if we're going to do it at the top or at the bottom, but we'll do the whole record in sequence, and
0: yeah, it's nice. a lot of fun. Yeah, I think most people do that when they play a full album. They play that first, and then they play like more hits or whatever after that. But I think. And you guys have sense it kind of makes sense that you might put it at the end of the sense at the end of the set, because it's such a fucking rad album. <laughs> just just well, to okay, end yeah. on I burn is always a good, a good ending song anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we, we, we've done that. Uh, we've done it both ways, but the, uh, yeah. we really like putting it like second part of the main set and then we'll have an encore of just whatever we want to do. So yeah, it's a lot of fun that we, our objective is to, Get your mind out of whatever is bothering you, and make you just jump up and down and bang your head up and down.
0: Yeah, that's, very that's cool. What we're done for awesome. I hopefully I have to look at the dates again because I, I'm not sure if they've been switched around. But I don't think you're going to Vegas, but hopefully you're somewhere nearby and I can drive there. So we'll see if I can make it. I hope so. Yeah. Awesome. I want to thank you so much, Vaden, for being here. It's been an awesome conversation today. And if you guys obviously want to check out the music, check out the tour, check out anything that they're working on, uh, check out the show notes below this video in this uh, podcast to check out all that cool stuff in the links. If you like what you heard on the show, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends on social media. You can see the full video interview on our YouTube channel as well. Also, if you want to check out some cool written content or any of the products or merch we have a bit available, go to poweredbyrock.com to read our absolute, absolutely free rocking blog, full of album reviews, interviews, and lists to keep you entertained, including the top 100 albums of all time, which we'll see two Toadies albums on there. And find our gear as well so you can pick up some items to play and look like a rock legend. That's our show for today. We'll see you soon for the next episode. Until then, rock on.